Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. All right, guys, so just a quick recap of what we've kind of talked about so far leading up to this week. Um, The first two weeks there, we gave a lot of context on uh, the events leading up to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Israel is taken into exile, into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. Babylon, after 70 years of Israel being in captivity, is conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. And then through that, King Cyrus actually made a way for many exiles to return back to Jerusalem and even rebuild the temple. So on the set of Nehemiah, the temple has already been rebuilt. However, in chapter 1, we get Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. He hears of the state of Jerusalem. He hears that the walls are still dismantled, that Israel is still kind of in ruins after the Babylonian exile. And ultimately, it weighs very heavy on Nehemiah's heart, and he wants to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and refortify the city. So he prays to the Lord at the end of chapter 1 for uh, God to open up the doors for him to go and help the kingdom and go and help Jerusalem in this way. Chapter 2 we see that Nehemiah inquires of the Persian king to return back to Jerusalem. The king grants Nehemiah's request, and he is able to return to Jerusalem. And at the end of this chapter, he begins scoping out the wall, scoping out the state of the city, and he begins recruiting people for building. Chapter 3, build, build, build. He's delegating Nehemiah, like me and Brother Paul have been talking. Uh, Nehemiah growing up or being involved in uh, the Persian king's court, always being there when the king is delegating, always being there when the king is delegating. It ended up with Nehemiah growing in a lot of skill and delegating and governing himself. So we see in chapter 3, Nehemiah is basically saying, you build here, you build here, you build here, and the people start building. So the people are getting to work, and that's pretty much where we're at. However, the main theme that we are talking about tonight is... Opposition. Everybody say opposition. 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 Nehemiah is setting out to do a work for the kingdom of God. He has a burden in his heart, and the hand of the Lord is clearly on him when he sets out to do this. However, like any work of God, it will not come easy. At many stages in Nehemiah's quest to build or rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, we will see that opposition shows its ugly head. An enemy steps onto the scene seeking to thwart the plan of God. And from the onset of this uh, lesson, we need to understand that just like Nehemiah, we too have an enemy. There is a spiritual force that is contrary to the Lord that is actively trying to oppose every good thing in our lives. The devil, as the Bible says, walks about. He prowls as a roaring lion, seeking who he can spiritually devour. Now, I don't want to give the devil credit. I don't want him to feel good about himself over off in the corner. Yeah, I'm pretty good devil, you know. But The Bible does tell us to not be ignorant of his devices. When we know how the enemy works and we resist him, then we have a word from the Lord that says he will flee from us. So we see shadows uh, layered throughout the book of Nehemiah on how the enemy of our soul operates. And we are also given principles on how to combat the enemy as well. So one of the first instances of opposition that we see in chapter 2 and 
just a disclaimer, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture, so if you want to pull up in your Bible, we're going to be starting in Nehemiah. This is Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, we're starting at verse 17 if you want to flip there with me, uh, but it's also on the screen if you want to read it as well. First instance of opposition we see is in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah begins talking to the rulers, the nobles, the priests, and his fellow Israelites regarding the building of the wall. Verse 17 reads, Then said I unto them, referring to Nehemiah, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more of reproach. Then I told them of the hand of God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened, strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? These three men who, uh, it was funny, I was actually Googling them to kind of get some more information and background on them. And Google even called them the Three Stooges, if that tells you anything about how these guys are going to be throughout the book of Nehemiah. So I may refer to these guys as the Stooges going forward, just to just so you know who I'm referring to. Uh, but these three men, they were Persian officials who, as we're going to see, become a real thorn in Nehemiah's side. Verse 20, however, Nehemiah responds to these men be, uh, mocking him and mocking Israel and mocking their goal to rebuild the walls. He says, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. You know, before we can really weigh the words of the enemy and recognize them and take them for what they are, I would argue that you first need to recognize the word of your God first. You are in danger of believing the lie that the enemy, the world, or even your own flesh will bombard you with if you don't have the testament of the truth of God to counsel and lead you first. I can picture Nehemiah in the middle of this opposition, in the middle of these three men mocking him. He thinks back to when he was first in the king's chamber, and the burden of the Lord fell on his heart, and he remembers the word of the Lord that promised that those that follow him and those that God calls his people would be returned back to the place that he gave them. He remembers the prayers that he prayed. He remembers the favor that God gave him with the king of Persia. And ultimately, he remembers the grace that brought him back to Jerusalem in the first place. Nehemiah knew what the word of God said. He knew what God said and that the task that, he, that was laid on his heart was according to that word. So when he heard the word of the stooges over here, he talks to them. When he hears their words coming at him, he begins to kind of come at them a little bit. Number one, he says, God is in the mix of this. God laid this on my heart, and he will prosper us. And number two, you have no portion in what is going on here. You have no portion in Jerusalem, and you have no portion on what God is going to do and what God is going to build. Sometimes you've got to tell the enemy and whatever lie he's throwing at you that he has no place in your life. Devil, you want to condemn me? But there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the flesh. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Devil, you want to confuse me, but God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Devil, you have no place in my mind, no place in my heart, and no place in my life. The enemy will talk to you and try to lead you astray when you show the slightest potential of being a threat to him. Which, by the way, everybody in this room shows that potential. So talk back to him. He's going to be mouthy at you, be mouthy right back, and hit him with the Word of God. All right? 
So jumping ahead to chapter 4, chapter 3, like I mentioned, was essentially just the building beginning. Nehemiah is delegating. Nehemiah is uh, he's leading people in uh, starting the beginning, the beginning of the building process. And he overcomes this initial opposition. They begin to make tremendous progress on the construction of the wall. Can I, can I interrupt here? Yeah, quick? go ahead. Uh, something that I, that I thought was interesting in verse 8, it calls us out. Just listing the people who did work on the wall. His next was Zuziel, son of Hariah, a goldsmith by trade, who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. So he calls out these people who weren't builders, they were oh, yeah. just doing uh, the work of God anyway. Mm -hmm. That wasn't their skill set. Oh, yeah. And yeah, chapter three is kind of a gold mine that we didn't really have time to go through tonight, but it's a gold mine of the different skills that God was using to, A, build this wall. But it seemed like a lot of those people were also out of their element. Even Nehemiah, he wasn't a construction worker. He wasn't even really a governor at the point when he took over this project. But God used the people that were available to start this huge feat. And it goes to show you, you may not think that you have the right skills. You may not think you're capable, but God will still use you. God still has a place for you in your kingdom, Sister Jill. Just kind of like... Some people don't think that they can witness. They don't think right. they have the skills, but we do. Oh, yeah. We can build the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And witnessing, being a witness uh, mm -hmm. for Jesus Christ, it is a characteristic of every Christian. It's not necessarily for somebody in the ministry. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have that potential. Just like Nehemiah was building the wall, and everybody in Jerusalem was building the wall, we all have the capability to build the kingdom of God together. So. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing to keep in mind as we go through this. <laughs> go ahead. This is, this is interesting. I think we talked about this last week, but even the wall, if you look at the pictures of the wall, it's not symmetrical, and it doesn't all look the same. Mm -hmm. Because everybody was doing it the best that they could do. Yeah. Just doing what they could do. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert, it worked. You know, God used that, and God fulfilled that, and God used the effort that they could give, the best effort that they could give. God made a way, and it worked. So... Again, Nehemiah overcomes the initial opposition. They begin to make tremendous progress on the wall. But as Nehemiah begins the building process, here comes the three stooges again. Verse 4, But it came to pass that when Sambalot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth, he was angry, and he took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. These guys did not like the fact that this wall was being built at all. Can I say something about the go insult? Ahead. Go ahead. So that insult that is given about the foxes, it's actually a kind of funny insult, but it kind of goes back to what... Ezekiel the prophet said back in chapter 13, uh, verse 4, Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, for the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. So... You know, Ezekiel even talks about like jackals and, or, or well, the, the word for jackals is like foxes. So 
Uh, Ezekiel even talks about like foxes and walls, and, and now we hear in Nehemiah these people are insulting them with, uh, you know, kind of like the very words of Ezekiel in a way. Yeah, so, sure. And um, funny you bring up foxes. I'm actually going to bring that up here in a second. So. We'll see what happens with that. But we talked a little bit last week on the importance of walls. And for our application, Brother Paul, we said that a wall was a spiritual boundary that would be set up in our lives. They keep certain things out and protect us from the spiritual influences that would harm us. The walls that we set up show a lot about our identity. It shows a lot about what we believe and even who we serve. In Nehemiah's day, having the walls built around Jerusalem not only would keep threats uh, physical threats and conflict at bay, but it also would help the people of God spiritually. It would keep the neighboring nations of the world from coming in and just wreaking havoc with their ideologies. If you would allow me to kind of put it like this, walls are a symbol of holiness and separation. There are some things that we will not let in. There are some things that we will not entertain, and there are some things that we will not become. We will fortify and we will fight to keep these things out because we are trying to be holy and separate unto our God. And the devil hates your holiness. He really does. He hates when you set yourself apart from the world with the intent to be like God. Personally, one reason why I believe this is because when we walk in a holy lifestyle after the Spirit and we get to experience the light of the glory and grace of God, it's a constant reminder to Satan of what he lost when he fell. The glory that he lost when he fell from heaven. When we make up our minds to live a holy lifestyle and declare that the sufferings that we may endure in this present time because of that lifestyle that we choose, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us down the line. It makes his blood boil when we come to this revelation and when we declare this in our own life. He hates you for your holiness. He hates the Lord and anything that you would do in your life to set yourself apart for his glory. He always wants to paint your holiness as insignificant. I mean, think about it. What Sambala and Tobiah and all these guys are saying. Why are these feeble Jews fortifying themselves? Why are they putting in the work? It ain't going to do them any good. There's too much rubble. They won't be able to build anything strong from that anyway. A fox could even run up on the wall and the whole thing would come crashing down. How about this? Let's put it in today's terms a little bit. Why are these Christians even trying? Why are they dressing different, talking different, acting different? It's not going to do them any good. There's too much baggage from your past. You'll never be able to do anything for God. You'll never be able to be anything from God. You're too imperfect, and every little effort that you make to live a holy and separate life will just end in a spiral of mistakes and a rubbled ruin of your failures. But you hear me tonight. The devil is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. You may be imperfect, as we all are, but you are a part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people of Jesus Christ's own possession. There is greatness in you, there's power in you, and there is purpose in you by the grace of God. Don't let the enemy discourage you from walking in the identity that Christ has given you as his child. So what does Nehemiah do? He responds to this further opposition with prayer. We said it before the uh, onset of this uh, course, but Nehemiah is a man of prayer. It seems like in every chapter, when he encounters opposition, he is going back to the Lord in prayer. Verse 4 reads, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Nehemiah prayed against his enemy. 
A great way to get God in the mix of your situation is through prayer. We talked about the importance of knowing the Word of God, but at the same time, the discipline of prayer is also crucial when combating the enemy. In the New Testament, excuse me, Jesus begins to send forth his disciples by two and two. They begin to go out into the cities and they begin to preach the gospel. But Jesus said he would give them power to do this, uh, this element called binding and loosing. Binding is essentially forbidding anything that would oppose the work of God, not allowing it to happen. But on the other hand, loosing is allowing the things that God wants to happen to happen, allowing the will of God to come to pass. And Jesus said that when we bind something or loose something here on earth, that it will be bound and loose in heaven. So what that tells us is pray, because the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When we bind things here on earth, when we bind the enemy, when we bind spiritual wickedness in high places, we are forbidding them to do work here on earth. We're forbidding them to come against the church, to come against the people, to come against this world. And subsequently, when we loose the will of God, we are losing joy, we're losing peace, we're losing truth, we're losing that to be at work in the earth. So prayer is crucial. Pray against the things that oppose God. Pray against the enemy. Disclaimer. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The devil is fair game to pray against, but don't be praying against your spouse when they don't do the dishes. Don't pray against people. So Nehemiah prayed and kept building. The Bible says that the people had a mind to work. The people were united in the work of God. And the wall was getting close to being finished. But lo and behold, more opposition. Verse 7 of chapter 4 reads, But it came to pass that when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, and they weren't just wroth, they were very wroth, and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. So we see that the conflict is beginning to escalate a little bit. The mocking and the verbal opposition is now on the verge of turning into a physical threat. And what this shows us is with the opposition and the times just kind of piling on top of one another, this shows us that the enemy has a funny and a nagging habit and strategy of coming back again. And he may even scale up the temptation when he does. He may up the ante with his temptation. Did we not see this with Jesus when he was in the wilderness, when he was fasting for those 40 days? Um, even when the Lord himself would quote the word of God to combat the enemy, that didn't stop the devil from returning to him two more times after that. Furthermore, with each time that the enemy returned, it, ap it appears in a sense that the scale of the temptation would grow in a way. It went from, you know, you're hungry, just turn the stone into bread and eat, you know, you're fasting, but you can turn it into bread if you want. It went from that to bow down and worship me and I'll give you the rest of the world. It seems like, you know, it, it, was, it still would be sin if Jesus would have given in, but it seemed like it was kind of a big jump, you know. Similarly, the opposition with Nehemiah seemed to grow in scale. He overcame the voice, but now the enemy is threatening, threatening to hit him with force. But what did Nehemiah do? Can I interrupt you? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. You just talked about the walls being identity, and they are your identity. The walls you put around your life are your identity, mm -hmm. and they are their protection. You, you skip verse 6, it said, when the walls were halfway up, that's when they became very furious. And I think that that's kind of what happens when, when you make an effort, and the devil sees 
hey, there's some progress being made. It wasn't just, he's not just angry. He's very he angry. really gets angry. And so you can, you can see that connection there personally to what Nehemiah is facing is you really put a good effort in, you're, you're making some progress, you're going to face some opposition. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we see this principle that the devil doesn't mess with somebody that isn't a threat to him. You know, if, if some person that's just out not building the wall that's not, you know, any nation that is out there just kind of doing their own thing and not doing a work for God, the devil probably isn't going to want to mess with them. You know, but somebody that is fighting for the kingdom of God, somebody that is doing the work of God, he does not want it to happen. So he's going to push really hard to... Um, oppose that. So, what did Nehemiah do in response to this opposition? He returns back to prayer. Excuse me. Verse 9 reads, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Keep praying. Keep fasting. Keep doing the work of God. And like Nehemiah did, set a watch for him continuously at all times. The area that the devil or this world is trying to get into don't let them. The area that the devil keeps prodding at, that is the area that you probably need to give more care to in your life. You know, uh, some examples, you know, if you're tempted, whatever area you're tempted in, you know, that's probably going to be the area that the devil is going to want to hit you at. So put a real intentional guard. That's a good word. Be intentional to guard that area of your life. However, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room. Sometimes it is hard. It's easier said than done to resist temptation. It's easier said than done to, you know, sometimes walk in the will of God. Because I would argue that it wouldn't be temptation if it wasn't hard to resist. You know, Verse 10 tells us, And Judah said, Judah is the nation, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. The people of Jerusalem and Judah were getting tired. The environment that they found themselves in of constantly working, while at the same time looking over your shoulder, wondering, Is the enemy going to come up on me today and kill me? It had to be exhausting. It had to be discouraging at times, no doubt. And while this is going on, the enemy is like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, this is good. They're getting weaker, and while they're weak, they won't see us coming. We'll infiltrate, we'll kill them, and then the work on the wall will cease. The Jews that were even around and in the proximity of Sambalit and company were like, bro, they're coming for you. Do not work anymore. Drop the work and get out while you still can. But Nehemiah has himself a backbone. Nehemiah does not back down. So, Nehemiah further resists. Verse 13 says, Therefore I set in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and majestic, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. When they knew the enemy's intentions, stood their ground, and resisted, the enemy fled. The enemy was not able to act, so it allowed them to return back to work. 
Mm. Maybe just on one quick scripture on walls. Sure. Uh, Proverbs 25, 28. A uh, man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Mm -hmm. Very good verse. Very good verse. And that goes along with the life of holiness, too. You know, holiness, a life set apart, is also a life that's after the fruit of the Spirit, that will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance, self-control. You have to be able to control your tongue. you got to be able to control your actions in order to maintain the walls, to maintain your holiness, to maintain your strength. So, very good verse. I like that. Um, like I said, Nehemiah and his people return back to the work on the wall. And he begins to equip the people. Verse 16 reads, It came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the harbegians. Sorry. <laughs> and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and the other one held a weapon in his other hand. This is where we get the famous image. Anybody that's ever heard anything preached about Nehemiah most likely has heard one hand had the tool that was building the wall, the other one had a weapon in their hand and was ready to fight the enemy at any time. I think so that this is where I wanted to say something. Sure. I think this is, this is exactly, you see, you see new you see new converts, or you, maybe you have been a new convert that comes in, and it's great, man. We're building and doing great. And then when you face that opposition for the first time, it's kind of a stunner. And I think it's at that point you do start, along with building your spiritual life, nagging for a fight too. And you saw it in verse 17 that they uh, they fought with one hand and worked with the other hand. They, their time was split between those two aspects of building their identity and building their wall. Yeah, and again, some of these people are goldsmiths. Some of these people are perfume makers. These aren't warriors. These aren't architects, but they are still getting involved, literally, you know, they are thrown into the heat of the fight, but again, we're going to see that God's favor is upon this people, and God will allow them to accomplish the work. Verse 18, as we go on, for the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Verse 19, and I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort, the, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. Last verse, verse 23. So neither I, nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which follow me, none of us, Put off our clothes, our, and I believe that clothes there is Change referring clothes. to. Yeah. And I think it's also referring to like the battle clothes. Like None of them had put their weapons off. None of them put their uh, gear off because they were ready at all times to fight. Even in the middle of the night when it was time to sleep, when in the middle of the day when it was mealtime, when they were building the wall, all of them were ready to fight. Nehemiah equipped the people, and they were ready and able to fight the enemy at any time should they show up. And all of this talking of battle, standing your ground, and being equipped for the conflict reminded me of what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, the shield of faith to quench every fiery dart of the enemy, the two-edged sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, 
Let the, breast, let the breastplate of righteousness cover your heart. Let the helmet of salvation cover your mind. And let the gospel of peace lead your feet and be a light unto your path. Let your loins be girded about with truth. Why? That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Just like Nehemiah and the people stood their ground in the midst of nonstop opposition. When you have done all to stand, keep standing. Stand your ground, because salvation still belongs unto the Lord. And his blessing is still upon his people. At the conclusion of chapter 4, I would love to say that that's where the opposition ended. But it's definitely not. <laughs> We're going to fast forward to chapter 6 now. I know I skipped chapter 5, but that was intentional. And if we have time, we will go back and we'll cover that at the end here in our discussion. But chapter 6 begins, Now it came to pass when Sambala and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall, and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. Verse 2, that Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Oh no. <laughs> but they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yeah, they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. So Sambala and Geshem come to Nehemiah with the same intent to hinder the work of God. However, we see that their method of doing so kind of looks a little bit different this time. They're starting to get a little cute, a little bit sneaky with their methods. Rather than trying to slander Nehemiah or stop the work with brute force, they are trying to draw him away and distract him from the work. If the enemy can't talk you out of doing the work of God or kill you spiritually before you are able to begin it or as you are going uh, through it, he will try to distract you. He will try to draw your attention off of the will of God. He will lure you away from your purpose and get your hands tied up in something that is not expedient and profitable to the kingdom of God. But old Nehemiah, again, recognized their mischief. He knew how important the work that he was involved, involved in was. He knew that he couldn't come down to meet them and leave the work unattended. Folks, our walk with God and our life of holiness is too important to be distracted with the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things entering in, as the Bible tells us. Don't be entangled with the yoke of bondage. Don't flirt and be distracted by the things that Jesus Christ has set you free from and called you out of. Stay in the Word and stay in the work. Sam Ballot requested this of Nehemiah for him to come down and to counsel with him four different times. And every time, Nehemiah refused to be distracted from building the wall. We need to start a hashtag. Like, hashtag be like Nehemiah. Because every opposition, every instance of opposition that he is encountering, he is handling it perfectly. But once more, we see that Sam Ballot sends a messenger to Nehemiah a fifth time. Bible reads, Then Sam Ballot... Then sent Sambalat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, but that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and thou shalt it, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore. And let us take counsel together. 
Sam Ballot is kind of pulling out one of his tricks that we already saw him use, I believe, back in it was either chapter four or chapter two. But he's combining it with sneakiness almost again. He's saying, Nehemiah, there's a rumor going around that you are trying to build the wall so that you can gain power and rebel against the king. I know that's not true. You know, I know this isn't the case, but that's what that guy Gashmu was saying. And word could get back to the king that you are a rebel. So come and take counsel with me. We can talk through this. We can sort this out and figure out a solution. But Nehemiah is like, bro, you're coming at me with this again? Nehemiah, in verse 8, sends back to him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. You liar. Yeah, NLT <laughs> says there's no truth to any part of that story. You're making up the whole thing. Really, literally. Verse 9, For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Even after this, even in the next few verses, we see that Sambala and Tobiah, they would actually go as far as to hire someone to speak false prophecy to Nehemiah that someone was going to come in the night and kill him. They wanted to strike fear into his heart so that he would slip into sin, the Bible tells us, fall into a bad reputation and that they could use that against him to keep him from building the wall and doing the work of God. Sambala and his crew were trying to make Nehemiah and his people afraid. He was trying to scare them with all of these false accusations and rumors to keep them from doing the will of God. The devil loves to push fear onto people. He will love to cripple you with anxiety, depression, and worry about the situation that you find yourself in, or as a means to keep you from progressing in the call of God. I remember uh, when I was a kid, not even just as a kid, recently, we all have those things that the devil kind of hits us with, for some it's doubt, for some it's anxiety, for some it's depression. Mine was condemnation. I would be so hard on myself and I would feel like every mistake that I did and even everything that I tried to do for God, it was less than worthy. And to the point where it even made me question my own salvation at times. The devil would hit me so hard with condemnation and I would feel like I knew I had a call of God on my life. I knew that God had a plan for me, as we all do. But I felt like I couldn't press forward in that because I was too messed up. The devil was always condemning me, and I was grippled with fear because of that. I, was, I didn't know what to do. But I want to remind somebody that God has not, has not given us the spirit of fear, as the Bible says, but he has given us the spirit of love and of power. And I love this part and of a sound mind. When you feel that spirit of fear or worry come over you, rest assured, God did not give that to you. And if God did not give that to you, then it is something that you should not have and that he will lead you out of. It is God's desire that you will, sorry, that you would have a sound mind. It is available to every single one of us here tonight. You don't even have to walk out of that door without having the peace of God in your mind. Nehemiah prayed once again against the enemy that was opposing him. And I'm honestly wrapping up. We can have a, have a conversation here after this. But in all of this opposition and everything that we talked about, Nehemiah pressed on. He prayed. He stood for the will and the work of God, and he fought for the kingdom. And, are you ready for this? Sorry, wrong verse. I skipped one. Hang on, this is good. I want you guys to hear this. <laughs> so the wall was finished. 
the wall was finished and they it was finished on the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elul and they did it in 52 days the speed that Sam Bella and all these guys were telling them you can't build that you can't get that done they did it in 52 days two and a half miles Two and a half miles worth of wall, and they did it in less than three months. You're not talking a wall like this wall. No, city walls. You know the feet thick. You know it's a lot of feet thick. Imagine the Great Wall of China. You know you can walk on that wall. It's a fortified wall. This is like this is the wall that they built almost. Probably not as big, but the wall was finished. And I love this next verse. Verse 16 of chapter 6. And it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of God. When you stand for God, and when you resist the enemy, the Lord will work on your behalf. What the enemy meant for evil, God will work out for your good and for the good of his kingdom. So in summary, when you find yourself being bombarded by the enemy, when he's lying to you, threatening you, distracting you, or even making you fearful, pray. Hold on to the word of God that you know to be true. Be not afraid that when you've done all that you can do to stand, stand. And remember, I heard a man of God say this one time, the opposition of hell is the confirmation of God. When you find yourself being opposed, it means that, hey, the devil doesn't like what you're doing, and it's ultimately a sign of, of you are in the will of God. You are doing the right thing. So change that perspective in your own life. If the devil is opposing you, and when you are encountering opposition, God is behind you, and God is encouraging you, and God is confirming that you are in his will. I would attach to the First Corinthians 10, 13 says he will not allow you to be tempted above what you can bear either. So you know if you're being tempted with something, God knows you can handle it. Or if he's not going to allow it in your life if you can't handle it. Yeah, and he will he will take that temptation and that trial and he will bring you forth as whole. And you will be better on at, at the end of this, you know, on the other side of this, because of the trial that you're going through. Yeah. But, yeah, does anybody have anything that kind of stood out to you? Any questions, any comments? There's a lot more that we could go into. Okay. Very good lesson. The only thing, um, I believe you over three stages in college. <laughs> True. <laughs> the street, Why yeah. is that? No, oh, yeah. Yeah. Third good guess. Yeah, I got you. Third good guess. Can you go back to maybe your second slide? It was the second chapter. This is, this is really interesting to me. Uh, like, like Avery said, I've never really, uh, I think that's it. I've never really taken a dive into Nehemiah either. This is super interesting. Type the book of Ezra and Esther, those three books all together. But Sanballat is a Samaritan. <clears throat> Samaritan. So, Israel set up, you got Galilee, Samaria, and Judah, the three states. He's from Samaria. Samaria was the part that was taken in the first, um, when Assyria came in, they, they took, they took, they took uh, that part, they took Samaria. And 
assimilated themselves. And so here's Sam Ballot. He's, an, he's a Samaritan who no longer uh, followed the law. They were, I mean, totally opposed, as you can see, to the remnant that came back with this second wave that Nehemiah brought back. Uh, so the Samaritan opposing Samballat the Hornite, and this is what we said to him. They then answered I and said unto them, The God of heaven will prosper us, therefore we as servants will arise and build. But you have no portion in, in uh, the NLT. It says, uh, I need to get to verse or chapter 2, I guess. It says, You have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. And when you see Jesus in his day, Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. I think it, I've never really made this connection, but I think a part of it came from this opposition to Nehemiah sure. when he was trying to rebuild, and the Samaritans were opposing that. Now they do not get along at all when Jesus is 400 years later, 500 years later, when Jesus comes on the scene. There's no interaction between Jews and Samaritans. Mm -hmm. The Samaritans, uh, Jerusalem was not a precious to them. They had a compromised way of worshiping. They couldn't come down to the temple in the times that they were supposed to. So they mixed things of pagan religions in with the true religion right. and the pureness of what God was doing. And um, it's so interesting to me how the world, the flesh and the devil work together to discourage us first to humiliate us and then to you know just and then when that doesn't work to come upon you but i love nehemiah and that he not only had a burden for it and prepared himself for it and he fasted and prayed even after he had the word to do it before they ever left he was willing to give everything he had financially to it everything he had physically to it he would not forget what God had called him to do, what God has put in a heart, what God has put in a heart. And I love, too, uh, that he would not focus on the enemy, and that mm -hmm. drove the enemy crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I do think that we're absolutely supposed to rebuke the enemy in, sure. in uh, prayer and all of that, but I have heard people just focus on the enemy and the Lord has shown me to not do that. He has used me to fight against the enemy, but it usually will come on me when I'm praying. And I'll never forget what Jessica Hartz will testify one time. She said that a giant showed up to her house, a giant. And so she went to the Lord about the battle plan for it, and he said, you're praying, praising me through this whole thing. And every morning, up at five, praising the Lord. And I forgot how many days it was until she overcame that. But I love how he goes to the Lord for the battle plan. And right. when he strengthens my hands. And when they say that to me, I know that so many people won't get this, but it's just the way that God has shown me to think about things. I think of that tabernacle and I think of being strong in the spirit, the candle, all the spirit of God and strong at the table, which is, you know, can you drink this cup and the bread of God? Right. Yeah. Strengthen this in me, God. Yeah. You did an excellent job. Well, thank you. Thank you. But um, one thing that I did kind of want to hit, um, I told you guys I skipped chapter 5. 
chapter 5 kind of is, it, there is opposition going on in chapter 5, but it's of a completely different nature. It's not Sam Ballot and the Samaritans and the Persian officials that are uh, coming against Israel and coming against uh, Nehemiah's work, but it's actually Jewish people. It's people inside of Jerusalem. We see that there is a, and I want to get all the details right, go back and study it for yourself, there's some really good stuff, but there is a famine going on, Israel is in a very tough situation financially, and we see that some uh, Jewish officials are beginning to kind of take advantage of the people there. I think they're in a situation where they kind of have lent out land and they're charging people interest and everything, usury and all that. Taking their kids. Ta taking their kids, exactly. All that, all that stuff. And Nehemiah hears the cry of these people and people come to Nehemiah about it. And he's like, what in the world is going on here? We have enough opposition out there to be opposing one another in here. Do you not realize that God brought us back from captivity from out there, but you're just bringing your own people back into bondage? You know, so that what that says to me is we have so much opposition, especially nowadays from the devil, from the ideology of this world, even from our own flesh. We cannot be opposed to one another. We cannot be at odds with one another. We have to be unified, just like the people were unified in the building of the wall, they kind of lost sight of that. Some people lost sight of that in this chapter. You know, they were taking advantage of one another, hurting one another. God forbid that we would do this. God forbid that we would slander one another, that we would take advantage of one another, that we would lead one another astray. Nehemiah went to these officials and he's like, y'all better get back everything that you took. And they did. And the, we saw the people, that the officials that were involved in this did end up repenting. But nowadays, we need to be unified with one another. And we even saw that. Uh, you know, I had this thought while I was studying. You know, Nehemiah had this burden in his heart, but what good would it do to fight against the enemy if Nehemiah was the only one out there with the tool and the sword and he's like, come on, you know, come at me. And he was the only one out there. You know, Nehemiah had everybody. The Bible says that he had all these different families, all these different houses, and each one of them guarded their own portion of the wall, and each one of them fought, and they did it together. Rather than opposing one another, rather than slandering one another, rather than taking advantage of one another, what would happen if we all fought and built the wall together? Together. We need unity. It's unity that caused, it's, it's unity that brought Pentecost. You know, it's unity that brought the Holy Ghost, that brought the um, the Spirit of God. It, it's the power. It's the power. It is. Willing to pay it all and not profit. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, it's like the, the dew of Hermon. It's the anointment that was on Aaron, the oil that ran down upon Aaron's beard. It's the anointing, the Holy Ghost, the unity that it brings is the anointing. It's what is going to empower us to do the work of God, to build the kingdom, to build the wall together. So we need to oppose the enemy. We need to fight the enemy. But even more so, I would argue we need to be unified with one another. I would say that's a, a, another tactic of the enemy. I mean, even though it yep. wasn't Sam Ballad that stirred up the people inside, but that's definitely what the devil tries to do. Sure. He, he tries all these different tactics to get people distracted or to get, but he tries to work in inside and get, you know, people at each other's throats or not getting along and trying to break up that unity because he knows that if there's unity, there's going to be, um, you know, revival and, and the the church is going to be stronger, but yep. if he can divide, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. They got chills. I mean, just, <laughs> you say it, man. What, what could happen? Sure. If we all did look at what they did. Uh, we were unified and built the wall, faced opposition, quelled it. The people had, the Bible, I can't remember what verse it was, but it said the people had the mind yep. to work. Yep. That reminds me of the day of Pentecost. They were in one mind and in one court. So what if we had the same mind? What if we were in one mind? What if we were in unity of purpose, unity in spirit, and doing the work of God? What would happen? How would our church be changed? How would our jobs be changed? How would our schools be changed? What would happen? I would reckon that Book of Acts stuff would happen. Great things would happen. God would be glorified. We're human beings, so we're going to have conflict. Oh, yeah. It's just recognizing conflict and uh, being willing to work through the conflict and change yourself. Sure. Um, we talked last week about prayer. Nehemiah prayed and that prayer changed Nehemiah. Yeah. And that impacted everybody around him. He got his burden. He was, we mentioned last week, it didn't bother him until it did bother him. And when it did bother him, he was all in and it changed everybody around him. Right. And he knew what he was called to do. And like you said, we've got to know we are called right now to fight for our brother. We are called to build the kingdom of God. Right. We have everything available. Like he has said, go, go, I'm with you, go. Mm -hmm. You know, like he was sent. And it takes all of us working very, very hard to build the church and to build the kingdom. But in light of eternity, it can be done in a matter of days. Right. The work, it's worthy of Right. And when you said that, how the king was with Nehemiah, the king was behind Nehemiah and gave him permission to go. He said, go, build. You know? Our king is behind us. Yeah, our king's behind us. But I find it interesting that Sam Ballot were try was trying to use the king against Nehemiah. You know, he was like, word could get back to the king that you're building the wall and you're going to look like a rebel. But the king was behind Nehemiah. You know, and that goes back to, I feel like what the Pharisees did, they would try to trick uh, they would try to use the word of God for their advantage to trip Jesus up in his words. You know, sometimes you got to not only know what the word of God says, you've got to know the interpretation of the word of God. Understand the word of God. It will. It'll keep you and it'll help you recognize when the enemy is really coming after you. You know, because has anybody ever had those times where you feel something and you were kind of confused whether or not that was you, whether or not that was God, whether or not that was him? I have, you know, I, I feel like it's something that hits everybody at one point or another, but when you grow to know the voice of God and when you grow to know the word of God and what it says and truth that it holds, there ain't nothing the devil can say that can trip you up because you know and understand the word of God, you know, like that goes back to the point where before you can identify the enemy's voice, you have to be able to identify God's voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, they follow my voice. So. You know, the king is behind you, and knowing his truth and knowing his word and always being able to go back to that is what will sustain you, especially in this day and age when truth is a, a pearl of great price. I think more he, so. he, he knew internally his motivation. That, that trick did not work because yeah. he knew that's not what I'm about. I'm about the kingdom, not the Right. I, I think when we... Maybe this just condemned me because I'm having to study for this last week. And he left a really cushy spot 
that had to be difficult, I would think, to get up and leave. Uh, and I, I caused me to look at myself at how comfortable we can get doing the work of the Lord. Uh, because it, sometimes you can just find your place and be comfortable, and maybe we need to be uncomfortable and allow God to put us in that place that's uncomfortable.
of it, you know. It wasn't because they had some peach partner or anything to do it. So he said that he tried to make like five of the seven, you know, times a week. And he said the Lord convicted them of arrogance, like unbelievably just convicted them of arrogance. And um, he said that um, the first week there was like 20, the second week there was like 14, the third week there was like seven or maybe five, and somebody got a weeping spirit and started weeping. And I think the church was 500, 200 people started coming really? to the prayer meeting. Yes, and then it just grew and there was an awesome work of God. But that just makes me think kind of like this, yeah. you know. I want us to get that, get that, that spirit on us, um, just for the people that, you know, that we all see where we need to be, you know, we, and we're not there, and that we can all get there. We need prayer, unity with one another. We need to be in the spirit. Why don't we, uh, why don't we close it out in prayer? Is that? God would, by this word, by this truth, rest on our hearts, that we would go forth, that we would apply it, and we would be glorified, and that we would be unified as we go out into the light of the kingdom and we build the kingdom together. All right? Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you for you. Oh, Lord, we love your word, Jesus. I pray that you let the truth of God rest on every heart, that you let it rest in the minds of everybody, Lord, that you let it be in their mouths. Lord, I pray that you let it bring forth fruit in every life. Oh, Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for letting us know and be knowledgeable, Lord, about the devil and the enemy and the world and all their devices that we would use to ensnare us, God. I pray, Lord, that we would resist the devil. We know that he will flee, Lord. I pray that we would not focus on the opposition of the enemy, Lord, but that we would have our eyes set on things that are above us. We would have our eyes set on you, Jesus. Lord, that we would walk in prayer, that we would walk knowing the word of God, Jesus, that when the going gets tough, Jesus, and opposition comes, that we would stand. And the hard times and the easy times, Lord, let us stand for the Word of God. I pray against the spirit of comfortableness, God, and I pray that you would put a working spirit in every single one of us, Lord. Let us, let us have the spirit of laborers, Lord. Let us go forth into the kingdom. Let us build the wall. Let us build the church. Let us build the kingdom. I pray that above all things, God, you would be glorified, that the body would be edified, Lord. Touch your people. Touch your church, God. Lord, I pray that you would touch Bloomington Normal, Lord. Touch every single person that is seeking you, Lord. I pray that you would help them find truth and you would help them find your word, God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. We said it all in Jesus' name. Amen.